Welcome to the Don't Trip on the Usual Travel Podcast from Beyond Our Experiences. My name is Nandana and I have Anand Parmeshwaran here with me to speak about Sweden. Hi. Hi Nandana. I've been wondering why Sweden of all places? A good question. I've also wondered the same thing. You you see Sweden is not like a like a UK or a London or a Paris and a France and Germany. People don't really say that oh I want to visit Sweden once in my life. They're, no, it's not a bucket list type of thing. I guess that's why you're asking this. But I did Sweden only because I had about a week extra. So I just finished Norway. I had been to Svalbard. I had uh, I was looking for some place I could just chill out a little bit and not be overwhelmed by the touristy attractions. I had a week. I said, let me go down to Sweden. So are the Northern Lights any different in Kiruna? No, um, Northern Lights are the same. Yeah, you know, it's the same lights that are dancing around in the in in the sky that you can see from one place. It's not different. It's it's as uh, transcendental an experience as anything wherever right. you see them from. But it's just that the bed of experiences on which you build the Northern Lights experience is very different. So when you're in Iceland, you're seeing geysers and you're seeing volcanoes, and then in the night you're going out Northern Lights hunting and seeing it. If you are in Norway, then you are doing your uh, fjords and you are going around um, on your husky safaris, etc., and then seeing the lights. In Sweden, in Kiruna, Kiruna incidentally was the first stop that I did when I came in from uh, Norway. I flew in directly to Kiruna rather than uh, you know stopping off in Stockholm. So I had a hopover flight from Stockholm and into Kiruna directly. Uh, Abisko is the name of the place uh, nearby. It is a it is a sanctuary. It's a nature reserve, etc. And uh, that's the place that is ideal, apparently, for uh, Northern Lights viewing. So I hadn't seen the lights from Sweden. As I told you, the lights are the same. The base of experiences are very different. Right. Yeah. So Kiruna is up above the Arctic Circle. It's really cold. However, I had come in from Svalbard, uh, which was bloody cold. And uh, here, I didn't find it to be that cold. But then it was all sheet ice and stuff like that. So that's where it was. The Northern Lights was the Northern Lights. But but from Kiruna, it was a totally different experience. And who were originally in Kiruna? Kiruna in this entire region is called Lapland, yeah. and now Sweden has a Swedish Lapland, there's Finnish Lapland, and so on and so forth. A lot of countries went and took over parts of Lapland. Now Lapland was originally inhabited by the Samis. The Sami uh, tribe are a, are a tribe of nomadic reindeer herders. All that they own is their reindeer, and they take their reindeer, move from place to place. They're nomads. They use the reindeer for warmth, for food, for uh, foraging, for everything else. Now, when uh, the European countries came in and took over these places, these were people who were displaced because, of course, you can't call it displaced because they were nomadic; they didn't have houses. And uh, but even now, there is a resettlement program. For instance, even now in Sweden, there's a rule, there's a law that nobody other than a Sami can own a reindeer. So even now, reindeer as uh, economic activity for the Sami is well protected because only the Sami can own the reindeer. So if the reindeer meat or the skin or whatever it may be, it is only the Sami who produce the initial uh, uh, product. And that's how it's protected. Let me tell you a little bit about Kiruna, you know. Okay. Let me just take you through what I did in Kiruna because... For me, I'm, I'm guessing that um, for you, it is as much of an alien place as it was for me before I went there. I had yeah. never heard of the damn place and uh, someone told me that, hey, Abisko and Kiruna, I said, let me go on a bit. So I flew out there. I was there for about four days. It's a bit of a utopia, you know, because it is so far off. I stayed there for about four or five days, um, bang in the middle of uh, Swedish Lapland. 
um, they've got a very lovely, cute, quaint little airport called uh, at the Tiruna Airport, where uh, you know you step off the flight and you, there's no conveyor belt and things like that. You just walk. You walk through the snow into the terminal <laughs> and you walk through like sub-zero temperatures. Yeah. You know, so uh, all that I did is the first day that I landed out there, I just came out. I figured out that there was a bus that could take me to the place that I was staying. Got into that, reached there. And started swigging Activate like there was no tomorrow. Activate is their water of life as they call it. It's both vodka based, it's bloody strong and it's all over the place. So that's how I survived the first day. Very interestingly, I stayed in this, uh, uh, there are hotels there. Okay, So there are four star hotels, there are three star hotels, there are uh, guest houses and all of that. Um, I stayed in this very quaint little thing. I, I stayed in it only because it sounded very interesting. It's a school. And because it was vacation time at that time, uh, all the houses or the quarters for the teachers are empty, I guess. So they give it out uh, to people who are traveling. So it's a small bungalow on the outskirts on, on the compound of a school that I got. Okay. And I was staying in this house. There were some uh, four rooms in it with a common kitchen and the other rooms were occupied by other people. Because it's a school, there's no food there. So it's not like a hotel where you can call for room service, etc. You just have breakfast which is between 8 and 10, I think, in the morning or 7 and 10 or something like that. You have breakfast and after that, you're on your own. So you want to eat something, you can buy stuff from outside and bring it in. There's no microwave or anything. So you can bring in preheated stuff or you can, you know, there's a small camp nearby. I'll tell you about Camp Ripon later. But that's what I did. Dinner in these places starts at about 5 p.m. Uh, works for me because I used to go have dinner, come back and then have, my, have a couple of drinks and then kind of long in bed. You really don't want to step out anywhere else after that. There was this camp Ripan, which was nearby, um, much recommended by a lot of people. And this is in the where I was staying was in the outskirts of Kiruna, and very near to that is this camp Ripan. If you're staying in town, then it's a bit of a distance. But yeah, it was some 250 meters from there. Um, they are supposed to be this uh, the, the cuisine in Camp Ripan is supposed to be this amalgam of traditional Swedish Sami and uh, Ton Valley Finnish cuisines. Yeah, because it's Lapland and all yeah. of that. So, and it's very good Sami cuisine. I wasn't too hungry. So I went there and I checked out for a local beer. And there's something called a winterish ale. There's a local brewery out there. Winterish ale, it was called. Yeah. It was fairly peak of winter. I don't know why it's called winterish, <laughs> but it was winterish. And I had a, a mushroom soup with the sherry seasoned and all that. And it's fairly interesting. The way they present is also quite 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 fun actually. They put it in one, they skewer the bread and uh, black bread and white bread etc. They skewer it and then come and give it to you as a like, like a shish kebab or something. Yeah. So I had food there and um, had my ale and got back and that's about it. The first day there was nothing much else that I did. The second day is when I went around uh, walking around the place. So I first up I took in this place called Yuka Servi. Um, that's where they have this ice hotel, which is supposed to be the first ice hotel that came in. And uh, you know what's an ice hotel, right? Yeah, I've heard of it. But... So it's a very imaginatively named one. It's just a hotel made of ice. So everything is made of ice. That's how it is. This entire uh, hotel is destroyed when the summer comes and rebuilt in winter. How long does it take? Will... Oh, it must, it should take at least from the way it looks, it probably takes uh, three odd months to make. So it ticks all the boxes as far as ice hotels go. 
So there are rooms of ice, there are walkthroughs of ice, there's a bar of ice. It's a very interesting one. The bar itself is made of ice. So there's a bar counter which is made of ice. The name boards are made of ice. It's supremely expensive, but but it's worth a visit. Yeah, for me, it wasn't too exciting. It was a tad too touristy for me. Um, not very, you know, for instance, the rooms are beautiful. There are blocks of ice which are the beds really. But, you know, there are no loos here, for instance. So, How does that work? Yeah, so there are loos outside. So if you have to go take a leak or go to the loo, then you've got to walk out of this entire thing in that biting cold, sub-zero temperatures, go to the loo, relieve yourself and come back. So the rooms don't have loos, they just have curtains. There are no doors also. Obviously, it's made of ice. You can't have locks and stuff like that. But it is an experience staying there. Uh, You get the room only at 6 in the evening and you've got to vacate at 10 in the morning. Between 10 in the morning or 11 in the morning and 5 in the evening, it is open for tourists to go and see the place. So I went there to take a look at the place and I was wondering whether I should stay on. I didn't. I just came back. I took a bus and went there. And uh, so it's nothing great um, really to my mind. Of course, a lot of people, it is worth a visit if you like ice hotels and if you like the kind of uh, uh, structures that have been created there, etc. But that's about it. What really intrigued me there in Yukasarvi was this church. So the Yukasarvi church is this absolutely pristine, beautiful, peaceful church in the middle of almost endless snow, so to say. But of course, it's a village out there. But it seems like endless snow to the, you know, to the Indian eye, which uh, kind of sees uh, three houses every two meters with fifteen people each. Yeah, so it seemed a very desolate kind of place. It's a short walk, about a kilometer and a half, uh, though it seems like more in the ice, from um, uh, the ice hotel to the Yukasarvi church. So it takes you about 15-20 minutes. Uh, very simple place of worship, you know, like everything that is um, uh, in Sweden. It's a very simple kind of thing, but the elegance comes in the sheer simplicity. You know, very, very interestingly, the Christ uh, image that is there, the Christ painting that is there, looks with, with thick lips, etc., with very distinctly Sami features. So obviously the people who had come in here were trying to bring the Sami into the fold of Christianity and therefore they made it that much more relatable. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's what we do in all uh, religions. When Every religion, when it goes out uh, to get in more people into the religion, you try to make it relatable and try and imbibe some of the social mores and cultures of the, of the local area to kind of make it more palatable. So that's the Yukasarvi church, fairly, fairly, uh, very, very pretty kind of church. And uh, there, just next to it, there is this uh, very interesting Sami settlement. It's called the Nuti Sami Sida. Uh, it's a Sami settlement where they've tried to recreate a lot of the Sami teepees. Uh, you can see reindeer there. You can buy food for the reindeer and go yourself into the reindeer pen and then lock yourself into the pen and feed the reindeer. Very, very interesting exercise. Um, I, I got some very strange berries which I've never eaten before. I picked up some of those berries and ate that. In the middle of that ice cold thing, there is this warm fireplace where you can buy some coffee and sit and have it there. Buy those berries, buy some uh, handicrafts and traditional uh, uh, Sami handmade stuff and all of that. Very interesting place. I spent quite some time in the Nuti uh, uh, Sami Sita. Just next to it is the bus stand and uh, from there you get a bus that comes in directly to uh, Kiruna town. It's a bit of a distance away. I think half an hour to 40 minutes away. You just take the bus and come back. That's what I did uh, on that day. The Yukasarvi was the place that I explored on that day. Uh, What else did I do in Kiruna? Okay, the the, the usual things are there, which is your husky sledding and your uh, 
um, all the ice related activities you know snowshoeing and uh, ice fishing and uh, reindeer uh, walks and so on and so forth so lots of that stuff all of that can be done i didn't do too much of it i was very happy uh, kind of uh, you know soaking in that town itself uh, so i was too happy doing that so i didn't do that the northern lights are of course an interesting thing to do in the evenings you head out on northern lights hunts i went out there saw the northern lights um uh, not not an experience to write home about i still maintain that but the best experience of the lights i've had is the one that i had in france to norway okay uh svalbard was good it was not exceptional like the norway one iceland was good again not exceptional kiruna again uh, uh we went all the way up to abisko and on that uh, highway okay. uh, we saw the lights again not a not one of those i think tromso which was the first northern lights that i saw which is from where i saw the first northern lights uh, spoiled it all for me that was spectacular man but uh, this was we saw the lights everyone was extremely happy for quite a while not a patch on trams or i still maintain what else did i do yeah so that's about it that that's the kind of uh, uh, place that it is it's a it's an old coal mining town and therefore you know do they doing things like that i've never heard of before so one part of the town is the coal miners where where the mining is going on still under the ground okay. and they realize that uh, uh, as the mines are growing bigger and bigger it is becoming a threat for the place that people used to say the traditional old town right because they might start crumbling etc yeah so what do you think they do one of the things that people would do is stop the mining yeah like you said yeah the other thing that people could do is uh, to say that let's vacate the old town let's go and if it was an autocratic regime that go and say that all of you get out of this place right but what these guys have done is they're just shifting the old town 5 kilometers away oh so there's a very old church out there in the old town they're lift dismantling it and taking it out and they'll put it back together in exactly the same way everyone's property that's on this side gets moved to another place it's quite an interesting exercise they said if you come after 5 years the church will be the same but it'll not be here it'll be 5 kilometers away or 10 kilometers away whatever how long will they continue doing so they shift like this, this so they shift this entire thing they're saying it'll take 3 to 4 years right they'll shift the entire old town to another side and the mining will continue as it is because that's the backbone of the economy there right I was staying, of course, on the outskirts. So uh, Kiruna town is one old town which is in the center. That's really where all the action is. It's buzzing with everything. And when I say buzzing, it's not like there are sixteen bars for every square inch. No, it's not like that. It is a very nice buzzing place from a Lapland perspective, which means there'd be some three or four nice bars. Everything would shut shop by about eight o'clock or nine o'clock. And there's some decent food joints, and there's a lot of touristy activity that happens in that area. There's a library also, which is very nice. But and there's a church. But it means walking on ice, so you don't walk around too much on ice. Otherwise, you'll be uh, slip sliding away, as the song goes. Um, so, so that's one center. On the other end is the mining area, which is where all the miners are and all the active, the commercial bustle happens. And on the other side is the outskirts, which is at Camp Ripanis, and which is where I was staying inside that school. Okay. So whenever you have to move around here and there you there is a bus that comes in and drops you on the highway and you have to find your way from the highway for instance my place was about a kilometer and a half from the highway which means you walk on ice and uh, you kind of get used to walking with a swagger like uh, uh, John Wayne and the hip holsters etc you walk with a swagger and not the prettiest of sights but you can get used to it it, uh, it ensures you don't fall and wet your butt 
So, um, what about the food there? Is it something that will appeal to the Indian palate, for example? Ah, the food um, and the Indian palate. Interesting that you ask that. So, there was one street food place I ate in Camp Ripon, which is a very fancy kind of place. It burnt a solid hole in my pocket, right. but uh, it was nice. It was an experience. After that, I swore never to go into any of these fancy places. So there's a place called Steak. Steak came in. Uh, it's a street food place. It came very highly recommended. Yeah, lots of everybody that I told um, in Norway, etc. I was going to Kiruna. They said, "Yeah, oh, you must go to Steak and all that." So I walked around and decided to try it. It's a very small, unpretentious booth. Yeah? It's like a street side, uh, you know, hot dog booth. Okay. That's all that it has. It's a small shop. Like in a Bombay, it'll be a vada pav joint. Yeah? Yeah, it's just one small one. There are three people inside that place, and they're like cramped for space. One of them is extremely is is a bit on the healthy side, so he kind of squeezes the other two almost out of the booth, and they're making the stuff there. But right next to it, there was a Sami teepee kind of thing, and I thought it was just one decoration piece. Yeah, when I go out, when I went out there, they they told me you can order here, you can sit inside that, and I look at it, and that teepee. When I entered, it was warm like how they got a they had a fire blazing in the center. There were uh, wooden tables and uh, benches all over all around. There were uh, um, reindeer uh, rugs all over the place. Very warm kind of place, and the staff was extremely friendly. I tried moose here for the first time. It's called, but this is what they call a lavu tent. Okay. So it's basically the shop where like a vada pav joint, and outside it there's this lavu tent. You sit inside the lavu tent and have your food, or you pick up your food and go away. Lovely experience, though. You must try getting and say if you go there, you must sit inside that tent and eat. I tried moose here for the first time. Okay. Yeah, the previous night I went to spot moose. <laughs> I was very excited and spotted it, and yeah, and moose for the first time. They served it with uh, fries and all of that. And it was great. It was good fun. But what was even better was that conversation that I had with the cook. Yeah, very lean time, I guess it was. Very few customers, uh, so he was generally chatting with me. So this gentleman told me that there are other cooks. So I told him I'm from India. He said, "Ah, you're from India. I know India, Modi, Modi." You know. So I said, "Acha, how do you know about this?" So he said, "The other cook who was on uh, holiday at that time, a person called, if I remember right, Sanjay, I think, or Sanjeev. He's from Amritsar. Oh, yeah. And uh, he's now back in India visiting family. It seems. Uh, I wish he had been around, man. It would have been fun to figure how an Amritsar boy came to be working in a traditional street food joint serving moose." <laughs> Kiruna of all places, yeah. But that was steak street food. Don't miss it; it's fantastic. Okay. You don't get any booze out there. You do get those juices and berry juices and stuff like that. But it's beautiful, fantastic food. Lovely, warm people. And if you're there, ask for the cook from Amritsar. <laughs> Everybody in that town seemed to know him. Every time I say I'm from India, they say, "Ah, you must meet Sanjay." <laughs> Uh, that steak street food. There was also a nice place. What is that name of that place? I forget. It was an American diner kind of place. Yeah, I think it was called Empes. Um, uh, Sorry, it's Empes Diner. Okay. Very nice, decent food. Very American style diner. You know, neon lights, self service. Very kitschy kind of interior. Very old establishment. I think it was set up um, according to a the gentleman there. They said he said it been set up. To cater to miners' needs when they came in in the okay. initial days, and this was the only place here. So, if you want super unhealthy, super tasty food, then get in here, order a burger. The veg burger was very nice. That's what I had. Um, what else? The church in Kiruna, the Kirka, as they call it, it's a beauty. It's, it's um, on the other side of town, um, the old town, so to say. 
uh, it's very nice. I, I mean, I don't know how to describe it. It's very nice. Um, ah, there's a pub there called the Bishop's Arms. Okay. I don't know where the name came from, but it's called the Bishop's Arms. And um, given the selection of beers on tap, uh, you would need that many arms to drink it. Um, yeah, maybe a couple of extra livers also. But I had quite a bit of uh, the Bishop's Arms and then kind of tottered back. It was quite a, a, a grave risk to life, limb and liver. Because it was all very icy kind of uh, roads, uh, the streets that I had to come through and there were no street lights here. So you're kind of putting on your Google Maps and uh, hoping that you're on the right track. And that's how I got back. But it was very nice. It was well worth the experience. That's what Kiruna was. For me, Kiruna is a very, very cold place with extremely warm people. And that's about it. The Northern Lights, drive up to Abisko, check out the lights, go to one of the coal mines, do one of those husky uh, tours uh, on a husky uh, sledding trip. And just chill out in that place. That's about it. So, who do you think should travel to Kiruna? I mean, like, for instance, if I was planning to go, what would I be looking for there? Right. So, Kiruna is not for the typical tourist. Okay. Kiruna is for the person who wants to experience slow travel. Okay. After 5 o'clock, there's nothing to do. You can go chill out in some place, talk to the locals have a beer, uh, uh, dread the prospect of sliding back home and so on and so forth. In the morning, before 10, nothing stirs. Okay. So, it's a place to have a slow holiday, a slow experience. So, in that sense, I would say it is for people who are looking for some introspective me time kind of thing. Right. Or a couple who are uh, going there for a romantic rendezvous, let's say. Okay. Or, or it could just be someone trying to get some me time together. But don't go there with a large list saying that, oh, I will take off all these touristy things. No, this is a place to chill out, relax, introspect more than uh, explore the place. Yeah, that's what it is. And I would give it full marks on those counts. And where did you go after Kiruna? Ah, so after Kiruna, I still had a a few days left. I went and I decided not to go around too much. I was um, already fairly tired of... uh, you know, with Svalbard and then Norway and I was at the fag end of my trip and you know what happens at the fag end of the trip you are typically looking at okay, let me go someplace so I can just chill for something. Yeah. Right. So I got into uh, Stockholm and decided to stay there. I was flying out from there after some 5-6 days. So I went and stayed in Stockholm. That's what, I don't know, have you heard of this concept of FICA? Yeah, I've heard a bit about it but is it very prevalent in Stockholm? I wasn't sure about it. Right, so Fika is nothing. It's, it's I don't know, if I've grown up in uh, Calcutta. We have a concept of Atta, which is about the evening you just sit with friends and chat. And you could chat about anything from Karl Marx to the Viet Cong to the Amazon tribes to the rainforest in Borneo to orangutans to Kerala, anything. Yeah. But it's just about spending time with friends. Right. That Adda, as we call it, is what is Fika here. Except that because they're European, they do it with a bit of style. The Adda in Bengal, we used to do with tea and probably a charm cigarette split in two. The Fika out here is with coffee and maybe a pastry and time spent with friends. In fact, organizations in or companies in uh, uh, Sweden have Fika type. Okay. Where employees get out and have a coffee with each other and just talk not about work, but about other things. So it's very prevalent there. 
I diverted the first day that I landed in Stockholm. I diverted it to Fika. Okay, it's just taking a break. It's done typically with a friend over a coffee and a pastry or something. My Fika day was with coffee, pastry, and myself. My big thing with the Stockholm trip, with this part of Stockholm, I had had my fill of tourism and and cold and nature and everything. I just want was chasing. I decided to chase work in the city this time. Okay. That's all I was doing. So from start started with the place I chose to stay. In. Other than the obvious benefit that it was bloody cheap and it was the cheapest of all, it was also very quirky. I stayed in a boat that had been condemned. It was no longer seaworthy. Okay. So they just brought the ship instead of uh, kind of uh, dismantling it and throwing it away and all that. They just brought the ship and um, uh, you know uh, parked it in a, in a fashion on the on one canal by the side of the banks and converted okay. into a hotel. Yeah, so you get the rooms, and the rooms don't have windows; they have those portholes. Right. The rooms are like uh, ship cabins. They're very narrow, very small. Some of them have private loos. Other for others, uh, there are no private loos. Yeah. And on the top deck, there's a restaurant, come bar, which is open for everybody, so people can come out there. It's got a fantastic view, magnificent view of the city because you're on the waterline. Yeah. You're looking at the city from across the river, and you're on the river while you're doing it. So the nighttime views are fabulous. I had a ball out there, very very cheap. Not the greatest, not the most luxurious in terms of space or room service and things like that. But it was great. It served my purpose. I wanted a place to rest my tired uh, limbs at the end of a long day. Yeah. So I stayed there, um, and the old town is nearby. So I did a lot of walking around uh, in the old town area. So that's what it was. Lots of walking, lots of coffee, a bit of beer, lots of conversations with strangers. It was like that. So, for instance, there's a King Carl the Twelfth uh, statue out there. That's from the 17th or 18th century, and there are four mortars, uh, you know, cannon kind of things, yeah. small ones. The four of them that are placed around the statue, they are actually war trophies that they brought from Dresden okay. in the 18th century. So they had a war, and then he brought it back. And think of this king, no? Look at the way he once chose to be remem- remembered, surrounded by artillery trophies and a gaunt tree, a one tree in the background. <laughs> Quirky like house. For instance, suddenly you will find I came across a statue of a horse hanging around. Strange. <laughs> Two buildings in the middle of it. There's a horse. Um, uh, so they have a street bazaar there in a place called Hotogate. Hotogate uh, uh, roughly translates to haymarket. Okay. Basically, names comes from the fact that in the 16th century, peasants brought hay for the king's new barn here. <laughs> Over time, along with the hay, they brought apples and whatever else. And over time, it became a market. So now it's called the hay market. And it's a great place, lovely vibe in the place. Next to it, by the way, there's a um, concert hall, and uh, uh, just outside that hall, there's a statue of Orpheus. You know Orpheus, right? The yeah. great poet musician, yes. Greek. So there's a, a statue of Orpheus, and all over the place. And then you know, just next to this Orpheus, uh, hanging around out there. There's a horse in some side hanging around between two buildings. The market's called Hay Market because they brought hay. And out here, there's one small shop on the shutter of which is one idiot called Yasin, <laughs> who's decided to commemorate himself. He scrawled his name out there, <laughs> Yasin. I, mean, I don't know. I just thought that poor chap he was uh, anyway must be going through an identity crisis. Out there. But that's what it is. I roamed around cafe and coffee high, story high, lots of street art, a street art. Highly helpful direction boards. So, for instance, one of the direction boards out there uh, said, "Tourists this way, hipsters that way." 
Wow. Quite a trippy kind of a place. So that's the quirk uh, that I was talking about. Stockholm is full of this, yeah. I'll tell you a few more. It's fairly interesting stuff yeah, in Stockholm. Let me just recollect what they were. So say, ah, there was a bar. It's called Misbehave. <laughs> so, <laughs> very interesting bar called Misbehave. Ancient water fountain. Modern buildings all over the place. Swank, people dressed to the tea, walking around. And in the middle of this, there's this ancient water fountain. Looks completely out of the world, completely bizarre, but some fashion, fairly beautiful. Yeah. I didn't tell you about the bar that was there with the man with the misshapen head. Again, I read about this and someone told me about this, so I decided to go and visit the place. It's a place called Skepsbron in the old town part of uh, Stockholm. There's a Skeps bar, a bar called the Skeps bar out there. There's a strangely, you know, right on top of the gate. And normally I wouldn't have noticed it. I just looked up because I had been reading about it. And basically there's this there's this disgusted, angry face that is frowning on you as you're entering the bar. They've carved it long time, like 18th century or something, they've carved it on top. Maybe it is a disgusted expression saying that you're going to go drink. <laughs> or maybe it's for the married folks who are used to seeing such expressions. I mean, you know, at home all the time. It could be anything, but then that was Kepp's Brown. I very keep with that, uh, the, the frowny man out there. When a time when most people sit down and say, oh, let me make the most beautiful exterior for my bar. Here is this frowning man face out there. And another piece of quirk is something that they call the Yampokya. It means an iron boy. At a time when size is worshipped, this is the smallest statue in the world. It's Sweden's tiniest, tiniest public monument. It's a 15 centimeter statue of a boy made in iron. Wow. And it's kept in one place. It's the tiniest among monuments in a, in a culture that glorifies the largest. There's some belief of luck around here. There are a lot of coins around it. It took me a while to spot this place. Um, the Yampoke is available on Google Maps. So I put it and started searching and it kept misleading me. And there are all these cobbled streets in the old town, right? So finally, I found it in the middle of some place. But uh, it's, it's a lovely place. It's well worth the... Uh, ah, there's a there's an ancient Viking rune stone. So you know what these rune stones are, right? These yeah. rune stones are where they used to record these, uh, whatever, history yeah. and all that. But uh, the Vikings being the Vikings, um, these rune stones did not give you too much of history. So they just say things like, I am Nandana. And I am the greatest warrior. <laughs> what do you make of history in this? It, it's got crap like this. But which is why you didn't get too much of history. Some of them do. But one of the rune, st- rune stones is hidden in plain sight here. This is like huge historical significance. And it's right in plain sight at a street intersection. I didn't figure it out when I went there. It is so well hidden. I was searching for it and still didn't find it. And it's just behind a fire hydrant kind of thing. Okay. Which has been kept out there to protect it. In between two buildings. I saw it only because next to it, there was a cafe called Cafe Runston. So I read Runston and I thought that this might be Runestone. So I went inside and said, where's the damn Runestone? And then they told me, it's just outside on that street corner. I went out there. It's most nondescript, but it's beautiful. That's an original Viking Runestone. Right, but that's how it is. This is how the city conceals uh, its secrets through quirk. What else was there? Ah, there, there's one street between a door number 80 and 81. Small cobbled lane in a place called Gamlastan, which is the old city. Okay. In a very narrow flight of stairs and all of it, all of it is filled with graffiti. It's just graffiti wherever you look. People have that Yasin out there is not the only person. <laughs> there's like graffiti all over and beautifully painted. I don't know how they would have done this painting. Small door. It's just a narrow alleyway that goes in and there it is, uh, you know, it's full of this. 
This is a very interesting one. It was actually one of my bucket list items. But uh, have you heard of the Stockholm syndrome? Yeah, I yeah. read about it. Right. So the Stockholm syndrome is where the uh, the the kidnapped person yes. falls in love with the kidnapper and yes. continues. Lots yeah. of films are made on it, etc. Stockholm Syndrome, the name came in because of one particular event that happened, a failed bank robbery okay. in 1973. What had happened is uh, these guys came in and uh, the captor negotiated with the authorities for safe passage and the release of a jailed convict, his friend. Okay. When the hostages were finally released, none of them testified against the kidnapper. Instead, they started raising money uh, for his defense. Oh. Yeah. So that's how the Stockholm Syndrome came in. Actually, okay. It's a curious kind of brainwashing of the victims to become sympathetic to the captor's cause. Yeah. This then came to be known as Normal Stock Syndrome. Okay. Normal Stork was a place where this bank was located. Okay. Uh, outside of Sweden, everyone calls it the Stockholm Syndrome. Right. So I had once heard of it in my behavioral sciences class in B, back in B school and was quite intrigued by it. There's a film in 2018, there's a film they called Stockholm that is loosely based on this bank robbery okay. itself. So this place where this bank was and where this thing happened is now a hotel. It's called the Hotel Nobis. And uh, I went to this place. Of course, I photographed it from outside. It's a hotel. Photographed it from outside. But for me, it was quite a big thing to... to, The birth of the Stockholm Syndrome was here. Ah, If you're an ABBA fan, there is this... uh, The ABBA Museum out there. If you're a ship enthusiast, there's a VASA Museum out there. The Scanson Open Air Museum and all of that. It's quite a... Okay. I went into the Viking Museum. I went into the Spirit Museum. What's this? The Spirit Museum is not dedicated to spirits of oh. the ethereal kind. They're dedicated to spirits of the consumption okay. kind. Yeah. So I consumed a lot of spirits also out there. This is again a bucket list item that I had. Okay, I don't know if you've heard of the Devil's Bible. No. Okay, So it's called the Codex Gigas. Okay. This is the only Bible that they say was written by the devil himself. Oh, yes. It's, uh, uh, I read about it sometime back. Uh, After a war, sometime in the mid 17th century, the Swedes used to carry back war booty, right? Like that king brought back that artillery, etc. So, legend has it that this huge 75 kg book, okay? Okay. 75 kgs. It has 310 vellum leaves pages. Okay. Each of it is like some 100 centimeters long, some 50 centimeters wide, or thereabouts. It was produced in one single night. Basically, what had happened is uh, one of the monks there, somewhere near uh, in the Slavic region, okay. one of the monks there uh, uh, was placed in confinement, some misdeed. Probably something simple, like he had a bit too much to drink or whatever. I don't know what it was. The head uh, monk uh, gave him a task that you have to scribe the Bible in atonement for the sins. That time there was no printing, right? right. So you had to write. So you had to write it. Now, our man just, just generally chilled out for a long time, like most students do. Uh, and he chilled out. On the last night, he realized it much. It is uh, tomorrow. I've got to submit this. So he didn't know what to do. And so he turned to the devil for assistance. The legend is the devil helped him in return for the monk's everlasting soul. Okay. And a prominent portrait of the devil in the manuscript. What the devil did is uh, uh, he wrote the Bible and then he said, keep the change and gave them some historical treatises on the Jews, the Jewish war, the chronicle of the Czechs and so on and so forth. And art of medicine, hypocrites work. Wow. He gave a lot of them. He said, keep the change. <laughs> so he did all this as magical invocations for healing, catching bandits and so on and so forth. The most interesting one is the image of the devil in a full page of the book. 
This is the only Bible that has a full page dedicated to the devil's image. This one is unique because it portrays him alone. It occupies a full page. Otherwise, there are many books that have this portraits right. of the devil, right? But this is what it was. I was very thrilled at finding this out because I hunted here and there and couldn't find the damn thing. They told me it was somewhere in Stockholm. Then finally found it in the National Library of Sweden. They've got okay. this place called the Kungliga Bibliothek. I spent an afternoon there and found this out there. It's guarded very much. Okay. Uh, there are in one of the, I think it was second floor or something. It's guarded with um, uh, a door, an electronic door and inside it, it's temperature controlled and it's locked. Okay. So you can see the book from outside a glass case. Right. And they've digitized the whole book. So next to it, there's an iPad kind of thing in which you can just, uh, you know, flip through pages, etc. And that's what it does. The Codex Gigas, the Devil's Bible, as they say. Wow. If you want to see an image of it, etc., go onto my Facebook page and search for Codex Gigas. Or you can search for it on the Beyond Our Experiences website. Or you can just look at it on the internet and you'll find it. So that was one interesting one for me. And that's what it is. Yeah, the sweet Stockholm for me was about the quirk. One church that I landed up in, it's called St. Olaf's Chapel. René Descartes, have you heard of Descartes? Yes, philosopher. Yes, the famous French philosopher. Now, he had died in Stockholm. He was oh. interred in Olaf's Chapel. He was Catholic. Sweden was Lutheran. Right. So he was then taken back to France and interred with due honor and Catholic rituals, etc. This is where uh, uh, Adolf Friedrichs Kirka is where it was uh, reconstructed. Incidentally, this this church is also the place where uh, Olaf Palm is. Uh, there's a memorial to Olaf Palm. That Swedish okay. prime minister was shot. Yeah. Most of us Indians would know about it. Uh, the Rajiv Gandhi and the Beaufort scam and all of that. That's Stockholm. That's the quirk of Stockholm. And and they had lots of such experiences. Lots right. of coffee. It's a coffee culture in the place. Lots of croissants. Lots of bread. Lots of soup. And lots of Turkish kebabs. So, how many days would you recommend for a full Swedish experience? Right. I take a lot of time in the places that I get into because I like going and visiting these places. I like uh, slow travel. Uh, if you were to do just Stockholm and Kiruna and come back. Okay. I would say flying directly to Kiruna, spend three days, three nights in Kiruna, come back and spend about three nights in Stockholm. I think it's a week-long holiday. Okay. That was Anand Parameshwaran talking about his experiences in Sweden. Thanks for tuning in to the Don't Trip on the Usual travel podcast from Beyond Your Experiences. Watch this space for more such experiences. Till the next episode, take care, stay safe, and whatever else you do, don't trip on the usual.